I certainly believe in giving credit where it's due, and uh, I should share with you today that uh, part of the inspiration for this sermon came from a sermon I read this week by Reverend Nadia Boltz Weber. We've attached a link to her sermon for where you can read it uh, in the Facebook, and we'll put it on the email that I send out. It's well worth the read, and she was an inspiration to me. I'm preaching a little bit something different than what she did, but I wanted to give her credit for the inspiration. Our text today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when, but when the crowds heard it, they followed him on, on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away, so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, help us to discover your presence in this message, your great love for us. Lord, welcome us once again to your table. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, miracles can make well-educated folks kind of nervous sometimes, especially when we talk about them outside the church. It can be quite a challenge to go to, uh, to, go to well-educated, unchurched people and suggest to them that a little bit of faith can set aside the laws of physics. Uh, a lot of folks just don't buy it. They might just look at us like we still believe that the stork brings babies, too or that we really believe that cookies are made by elves who live in trees. Uh, in today's age, there's just a lot of doubt, even among Christians, about the reality of miracles. In fact, many Christian commentaries, biblical commentaries, even try to explain away the miraculous. They offer ways to work around what the text might actually say. For instance, uh, in the Old Testament, the prophet Elisha raised the Shunammite widow's son from the dead. You might remember that story. Uh, the widow would have been left without anyone to care for, and the, her son dies, and Elisha goes up, and, and then comes down with the boy resurrected. And some commentaries have argued that perhaps Elisha was performing a primitive version of CPR, and that's their explanation for the miraculous. I've read explanations that try to explain away the manna in the wilderness, that it was just some phenomena where dew crystallized and perhaps they were really eating uh, frost instead of bread. And that seems a stretch to me. Uh, in the same story, I've, I've heard explanations about some wind that probably blew the quail up to where Israel was encamped, and that's how they got the quail. The Bible itself even tells a story of explaining away the miraculous. 
After Jesus' resurrection, when the religious leaders found out about the empty tomb, they gathered all their folks together and they said, go out and start the rumor that his disciples had stolen the body. Uh, the miracles make us nervous and a lot of times people try to find a way around it. It's true with this story as well. I've heard all sorts of explanations for where all the food came from. Uh, one that is very common is that uh, once everybody was hungry and, and seated and, and it was time that, that there was this generous offer of five loaves and two fish and that when everybody else saw the generosity of that donor that their hearts were pricked, that their conscience got the best of them and that they began to share the food that they were hiding uh, so that everybody had plenty. But that there was nothing miraculous here, nothing to see. People were just hoarding their food until an act of generosity made them share. That's the message that some try to make out of this parable. Um, if you follow that interpretation, then this parable is really just about sharing your stuff. Be nice, be generous, share with others what you have. Well, that's a good lesson. It's an important one that we should all follow, but shouldn't we have learned that in kindergarten? It, isn't that a lesson that we should have learned when we were five years old? Is that really the point of this story? Do we have this in our Gospels just to convey a kindergarten lesson to us? We, we might could believe that. People might could really hold that up as a reality, except for 12 baskets. The, that little detail of 12 baskets full in the story throws a wrinkle in the explanations about the miraculous. You see there, Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish and he blesses them and everyone eats until they're filled. I always think about Thanksgiving dinner when I read this passage. When my family is sitting around the house we can hardly move because of all that we've eaten. They eat until they're filled. And then Jesus instructs them to collect the leftovers. A huge amount, 12 baskets full. Wow. Uh, there's simply not room in their tunics to hide all of that food. And it's, it's, very, it's a common detail. All four Gospels tell uh, this story. Actually, this, a version of the story is told six times in the four Gospels. And in all six occasions, there is a ton of food left over. Well, there was nowhere to hide that food, so where did it come from? Twelve baskets creates a real problem for those who have a problem with the miraculous. But really, there is even more than that. Uh, all four gospel writers give a lot of attention to this story. We read a lot of verses today, but the story shows up, the feeding of the 5,000 shows up in all four gospels. And to be honest, John doesn't agree with many details with the other three on much of anything. But all four share the story of the feeding of the 5,000. In all four of them, there are 12 baskets full of food left over. Matthew and Mark add a second story of the feeding of the 4,000 in which there's seven baskets of food left over. So the gospel writers give a whole lot of attention to this incredible story. Did they spend all that, did they spend all of that time just to try to tell us to be nice and share our stuff? Did they devote that much of Holy Scripture to just teaching us a kindergarten lesson? And if they did, then why doesn't Matthew mention the donor? Now, if you've been around church a while, you might know of the child who offered up his lunchbox. Matthew leaves that out. If this lesson is just about generosity, if it's just about people being good to one another and sharing their stuff, Matthew left out an important detail. There's no donor. 
All it says is they had five loaves and two fish. We don't know where they came from in Matthew's story. So maybe there's something more going on. It's hard to take the miraculous out of this story. And that's good news. It's good news for all of us. Because really we need more than a wise teacher teaching us kindergarten lessons, don't we? Now that's important. And I value the people that do it. But to for, for what's going on in the world, we need more than a wise teacher offering preschool lessons. I mean, if we could really... That's assuming we could even follow them. If we could follow the rules. If we could follow some list of rules and fix everything around us. What need would we have for God anyway? When we've proven we're not real good at following them. But if we could. If we could fix things by just being nice to one another. Where's the need for God? If kindergarten lessons is all it's about. Then Jesus died in vain. But if there's more, if there's more, we have hope. We have a tremendous hope that should flood our lives with joy and give us new perspective for tomorrow. If, if there's more, if this happens the way that the gospel writers told it, we've got this tremendous hope. It, it, what it does is it pulls back the veil on the divine. We catch a glimpse of who God is. A God who chooses to enter into time and space. Who walks among humanity and chooses to feed people. Not because they're starving. Nobody in the crowd's going to starve to death if they don't eat that night. Uh, he doesn't feed the crowd because he has to. The disciples had already offered an easier solution. Tell them to go away and buy their own food. Jesus doesn't feed the crowd to save their lives. He doesn't feed the crowd because it's the only option. Jesus feeds the crowd because he loves them. And he desires to share a meal with them. He wants to be at the table with them. Uh, what an incredible bit of hope for all of us that God, uh, God desires us, that God desires to be with us, to come and have fellowship with us, to invite us to the table. God loves us regardless of what we've done, regardless of where we are in our lives right now, no matter if we think we've messed up so badly that no one could love us, God loves us. And don't we need that kind of hope these days in our world? I know I do. Especially right now, I cling to that hope. I hang on to it. Now, these are tough days. Uh, they get monotonous. You know, every day looks a lot like the last. Uh, we, we're spending a lot of time in isolation. Uh, we, we don't get to see our friends. We don't get to share those wonderful times at the table all over town and especially here in our sanctuary. When we wonder, when will it ever be over? When we stopped in-person worship in March, I was certain that at least by early June we would all be back together. Well, now it's early August. We're still apart. And so that despair begins to sink in. When will it ever be over? Will it ever be over? So in times like this, in dark days, I love this story. This story encourages me that we have a God who loves us no matter what. Loves us unconditionally and desires to be at the table with us. That even in this darkness that God has invited us to fellowship with him 
at his table. And so, yeah, this miracle is important to me because it tells of God's love for us. Now, to be sure, I've got to, I've got to be careful in my discussion of miracles. We cannot manipulate the miraculous. We, we can't simply pray the right thing or have the right amount of faith and do whatever we want. Uh, miracles are no guarantee against something bad happening to us, and it's not a quick fix to get rid of this thing or whatever else may be troubling us. That's just not the way miracles tend to work out. It's not up to us. And so I'm definitely not preaching some Pollyanna message about divine protection and whatever goes on. What I am doing is preaching a message of hope. That if we have a God who would bother with feeding the crowds on that late afternoon by the Sea of Galilee, then we have a God who is very near to us no matter how difficult our days get. In these times, we can be certain that God is near. Life may be tough, but we don't have to do it alone. Christ goes with us. I don't know what this next chapter holds for us, but I am absolutely confident that our story ends at Christ's table. Amen. Thank you.